Now, I don't have um, a long time to flesh this out, but I don't think it's going to take long for us to, to see this. We all bow the knee to someone or something. There is something in our lives or someone in our lives that drives us. And when I say bow the knee, here's in essence what I'm saying. That this, whatever it is, a person, a thing, will dictate the direction of my life. We all bow the knee to someone or to something. Just a couple of examples. Many of us will worship our families and or our closest friends. That they take the highest priority in our lives and whatever is necessary to, to protect, to provide for, etc., we will do, even if it's unreasonable. As parents, sometimes uh, we reveal the place that our children play, take in our life um, when we are not willing for them to endure what it is that the natural consequences of life. And we'll do everything within our power to remove those natural consequences, believing that if we can somehow remove pain from them, then we're, we're doing the best we can and we're loving them well. We will say no to other things, maybe even duties and responsibilities that we have in order to go beyond what is reasonable for those that we love, family and or friends, because we place them at such a position that if we don't have their approval or if they're not thriving and doing well in life, then we simply cannot be happy, content, etc. Many of us are driven by someone. We bow the knee to someone. Others of us are driven by something. Most often it's accomplishment. That starts out early in our days in school when we do everything we can to make the best possible grade we should. We should give all of our effort. We should do the best that we possibly can. But many of us will go beyond what is reasonable in order to accomplish something. Even believing that if we don't accomplish whatever it may be, it says something about us. There are some of us that are so driven in life, the thought of finishing second is anathema. We just can't handle somebody else outdoing us. And yes, it is true that second chair might be the most difficult instrument to, pray, to play in any orchestra. Many of us are driven so much by accomplishment that we just can't handle that when we do our best, it just isn't enough. How many professional athletes can you think of right now? That when another athlete makes one more dollar, it drives them insane. It starts in school, it goes on to work, it then usually makes its way even into our parenting where there's this hybrid of we worship our families as well as the accomplishment because if our children don't turn out well, then what does that say about us as parents? Did we succeed? Matthew Westerholm said this. This Palm Sunday, we celebrate the triumph of the second king to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. He enters to the praise of children and adults, unmasking all pretenders to his throne and reminding us that he and he alone is the only king worth following. My friend, I will tell you today, it is normal and it is natural for you to worship something or someone. It is natural. It's normal. It's within the realm of what we all are going to fall into. If we bow the knee to someone or something, 
But today, what today reminds us is that there is a legitimate king, the only one who actually deserves the throne, that when he takes center stage in our lives, when he is the one who is directing our lives, when we get our direction from him, that when our orientation in life is found from him, here's what I will promise you. It will lead to a great deal of difficulty. You will have challenge. You will have strife. There will be many hard things that will result in life specifically because you are choosing to bow the knee of submission to Jesus. However, what I will tell you is this. It will always be worth it to bow the knee to King Jesus. It will always be worth it. No matter what happens in life, no matter what direction you go, it will always be worth it to bow the knee to King Jesus. In other words, if he is calling the shots in your life, you will not live an easy life, but you will live a life that you will not regret. Today in our scriptures, I'm going to be reading from the NIV, and it's going to come from John chapter 12. A portion of this has already been read. I'll reference the other passage that was read, and then we'll have one more to read um, a little bit later on. But, uh, but hear from, uh, from the word in John chapter 12. In fact, if you are able, would you stand in honor of God's word as we uh, read this? The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! And I won't shout anymore. <laughs> Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter uh, Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now, the crowd that was with him went uh, uh, with, uh, I'm sorry, was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed the sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. You may be seated. Palm Sunday is celebrated all over the world in many ways. Uh, many uh, other places do it similar to what we did here today, where children make their way into the worship service, and they're carrying palm branches. And that never, ever, ever gets old for me. No matter how old I get, it never gets old to see children coming in, palm branches waving, and declaring the praises of the Lord. It will never get old to hear a child read the scriptures, even just tell us what passage the scripture is coming from. And do you know why? Because there's something really, really innocent, sweet, pure, genuine, sincere about children declaring praise. I don't know what it was like for your kids or what it was like for you as a child, but I didn't have much of a filter on this thing when I was young. And so if it came to here, it typically made its way out of here. And oftentimes that was a good thing, meaning it was a spontaneous thing. I could tell someone that I loved them, liked them, etc. Sometimes it did not work out so well for anyone. Sometimes it was a thought that came that you, there should be a little more inner monologue. 
And so life had to happen when children come in and when they get to declare, we get to hear something. Isn't Jesus who said this? Suffer them to me. Bring them to me. Let them declare. Let them talk. Let them sing. Let them shout. I don't know exactly what the scene looked like, but I know one theologian described it this way. Imagine a bunch of people would gather together much as they would for a football game or a NASCAR event, whatever it is on a Sunday where you drive from all over. you got this mass number of people that are making their way into a central location. That's what was going on right here. All these folks making their way over into into one location and then Jesus does something interesting. Now, John just tells us that Jesus found a donkey. Some of the other gospel writers let us know that Jesus actually specifically gave directions to some of his disciples, said, go to this particular location. You're going to find a donkey here. You're going to find it tied and then untie it and bring it to me. And if the guy asks what this is for, just tell him, yeah, the Lord needs it. So Jesus is doing something very, very intentional right here. It is unmistakable. He knows exactly what he's doing. It's not as though he happened to be walking along and said, ah, looky here, here's a donkey. I think I'll ride it. This meant something to the people. Now, why? Listen to what was written earlier. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, it tells us this. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of the kingdom forever. This is God speaking to David about what was coming after him. You're going to have a son, and this son is going to rule. God makes it abundantly clear in 1 Chronicles 22 when he says this, you will have a son who will be a son of peace and rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon, and I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his reign. He is the one who will build a house for my name. He will be my son, and I will be his father. And listen to this, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So God is saying specifically, David, you're going to have a son. His name is Solomon. Solomon is going to be the one that I am going to, to... reign through. It's through that lineage. So it's through David, through Solomon, and that line. I'm going to have a king that is going to be raised up from him. He's going to reign on forever and ever and ever. Now, what happened when Solomon became king? Just to let you know, there was chaos. Okay, there was somebody who was trying to get the throne over here, and somebody's trying to get this over here. And so uh, one of David's wives comes to him and says, hey, by the way, there's chaos going on. You need to take charge. You need to let us know who is going to be king. So David says, it's going to be Solomon. And here's what they did in order to establish the legitimacy of the king of Israel. Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah son of Jehoiada, the Keathites and the Pelethites, went down and had Solomon mount King David's mule, and they escorted him to Gahan. Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the sacred tent and anointed Solomon. And then they sounded the trumpet and all the people shouted, I won't do it, but imagine I am, long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him playing pipes and rejoicing greatly so that the ground shook with the sound. This is the idea. 
Solomon is the one who is going to be the king because God has said, this is where the line is coming from. So they put him on David's donkey. He makes his way down a very specific path and the crowd is gathering to see him and they are shouting to the point that the ground is shaking. In other words, it is a raucous party that's going on for Solomon. So when Jesus says, go get me a donkey, guess what he does? Go get a donkey. I'm going to ride on this donkey and I'm going to ride the exact same path that Solomon rode. And what I am saying to everyone is this. I am your king. Jesus was not mistaken. It wasn't just an accident. It wasn't just some really cool circumstance. Coincidence. Jesus is saying, I am the king. And so when the kids come and just spews out of their mouth. They can't help but respond to the king. Jesus embraces it, accepts it, and says, yep, this is me. Can I ask you a question? Who is Jesus to you? Because the terms that Jesus gives us is we must accept him on his terms. And he comes in as a self-proclaimed king. Which means he demands that you, he demands that I, he demands that we all bow the knee to him, not to someone or something. We bow it to him. Has Jesus been a good teacher in your life? Has he been an inspirational character in your life? Has he been someone that you look up to and you respect and you appreciate and you even try to model some of your life after him, hoping that you'll have some of the wisdom that he had? But at the end of the day, he's not really king, meaning he doesn't really have the right to, to direct your life, to orient you, to say to you, come and you come, to say to you, go and you go, to say stop and you stop. Has Jesus been a nice menu option? a good addition to your life? Then what I would remind all of us, because he has certainly been that to me far more times than I care to, to admit to. I have treated him way more than I want to admit as someone who is an inspirational figure, but not the Lord of the universe. When I do that, you know what I must do? I must repent. I must say I'm so sorry because I have been trying to Put either someone or something else on a throne and bow down to that throne. Most often, it has been myself that I try to place up on that throne. I need to repent and turn back and say, King Jesus, you have the right to do to me, for me, through me, in me, over me, around me, through me. Whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want, for as long as you want. Jesus is king, and this is the event that inaugurates this holy week. Half of the Gospel of John, almost half of the Gospel of John, is, is, is spent with the last week of Jesus' life. And we read what's going to happen with Jesus. He's going to meet with some guys later on on a Thursday night. He's going to go to a cross on a Friday. He's going to heal. He's going to perform miracles. Jesus is going to do some incredible things in this last week of his life. 
But it all starts on this particular Sunday. And I would ask you today, would you consider who is Jesus in your life? Is he someone that is simply helping you try and navigate life, but you can by and large do it on your own? You just need a little bit of help from Jesus. Or is he one that you are coming before? And that you are bowing the knee, you are throwing your hands up in the air and surrender, and you are saying, whatever it is that you want, so be it. You can try to have him on your terms, but it will not work. You can only embrace him on his terms, which is king of the universe. Just three things to point out about this passage. It'll take about a minute. In this passage, I think we'll see what is true today. It's true in every era of life. There will always be fans of Jesus. There will always be people who are willing to shout and scream, but a week later will not be found where he is. And that is upon a cross, submitting themselves to him, dying to self, saying yes to Jesus, saying no to self. There will always be fans of Jesus who applaud from a distance. There will always be opposition to Jesus. There will always be those who want to point and say, he's not really a king. A good guy, a great teacher, but not Lord. Don't get so religious that you get carried away with this whole Jesus thing. There will always be fans of Jesus. There will always be opposition to Jesus. But the third thing is, I promise you this, it will always be worth it to bow the knee to King Jesus. Rather than bowing the knee to your children, hand your kids over to Christ. Rather than working your brains out in school and at work, do all those things, work hard, hand your school and your work over to Jesus. And say, Jesus, whatever you want to do, I'm yours. You will never, ever, ever regret that.